Good evening, everyone. It is time for Sean the Baptist Live. Father Sean here, Sean the Baptist. Great to have you on. And I am uh, happy to welcome you to this special edition of Sean the Baptist Live. We're coming to you live from St. Patrick Catholic Church in Kansas City, Kansas. Happy to have you with us tonight. Tonight, we, uh, we're coming up on Thanksgiving. So uh, this is a special time. We've got Thanksgiving coming. We've got Advent ready to start. All kinds of good things happening this week. So I thank you uh, for joining us tonight. Uh, got a number of people on. I, I do want to take your questions tonight. So I appreciate it. If you, uh, you've got those questions, go ahead and post those in the, the comments tonight. Uh, coming from uh, the Sean the Baptist page tonight. In the, in the past, maybe you, you've checked it out. I've been doing feeds to Sean the Baptist and St. Patrick's all at once. But I find that when people comment on both places, I, I can't see both places. So um, hopefully the people from St. Patrick's will, will jump over and, and find it on Sean the Baptist. And I know we got a, a lot of other people uh, jumping on from the diocese and around around the country, really. Um, people ask sometimes, where is Sean the Baptist seen? Uh, I, I get the stats and uh, literally around the world, I, people in China. And, you know, if you know what's going on with the church in, in China right now, that's uh, a little bit maybe encouraging. I, I, one of two things is happening. I'm being spied on and targeted by the Chinese for elimination. So if I disappear, it's probably the Chinese. Or second, there's like underground Catholics who have smuggled in some kind of phone that they can huddle around some desperate little barrel campfire in the middle of a forest trying to watch Sean the Baptist from China. I'm going to go with that one. But wherever you're watching from tonight, I'm I'm glad that you're on with us. I mentioned in the, the title there that uh, we have a, a free Advent tour. That's right, a free Advent tour or uh, a free adventure, if you want to go that way. Regardless, uh, we're going to talk about Advent tonight, and it is a great time because we are starting off the, the season of Advent this weekend. Hard to believe uh, we're at the end of the year, and for those of us that are not in any uh, delay at all, let's get 2020 over. New Year's can't get here quick enough. Well, we got good news for you tonight on the liturgical front. Uh, it's It's liturgical New Year's. This weekend, yeah. In fact, uh, for those liturgy geeks out there, 4 p.m. Saturday, I am planning on ringing in the new liturgical new year. Uh, for those that don't know, in, in the church, uh, the liturgical year begins on the first Sunday of Advent and um, runs all the way through the last Sunday, the last Friday, Saturday of Ordinary Time. So we are in the last week of Ordinary Time right now. For those who paid attention, uh, last Sunday then was the Feast of Christ the King in the uh, modern calendar. And so we, we have that to mark the ending of the, the normal uh, liturgical year. But for those of you that uh, get to go to Mass during the week, there are weekday Masses of the 34th week, the 34th and final week of Ordinary Time that we celebrate this week. And, you know, if we're going to celebrate the end of the year as we know it, well, what better scriptures could we have than the book of Revelation? So that's what we're... We're getting through this week. We are reading the book of Revelation and, and reading about the end of the world uh, because we want to get to the end of the world and feel fine. So the best way to do that is to prepare. And that's what the church gives us this last week of the year. But we do start a new year, a new year of grace on uh, this weekend. And uh, of course, we know throughout most of the world, we, we have the uh, anticipated masses, as they're so-called, on Saturday evenings where we can 
fulfill our Sunday obligation to attend Mass, at least on Saturday evening. And so, at least uh, traditionally, those Masses are not supposed to begin before 4 p.m. So if you're looking at when does the liturgical new year start? Just give us the, the brass tacks, Father Sean. Tell me where the line is. When is liturgical new year? Well, I would say 4 p.m. on Saturday. So if you want to get your New Year's Eve parties ready and ring in the new year, the uh, liturgical thurible, as it were, will drop at 4 p.m. on this Saturday evening. Uh, I, I know I tend to uh, want to go crazy. Maybe uh, pray Vespers at that moment, uh, celebrate the welcoming of liturgical new year. Um, it, it will be uh, in our reading cycle. We're going to be going uh, to the year B in the Sunday readings. So we've been in year A. For those uh, that know, there's a three-year cycle of Sunday readings, which we have pretty creatively called year A, year B, and year Q. No, I'm just kidding. It's year C. Year A, B, and C on the three-year cycle of Sunday readings. And so we're in year A. We're going to be going to year B. And uh, those uh, familiar with biblical studies know that three out of the four Gospels kind of come to us from the same viewpoint. And so why not use a Greek word to refer to the same viewpoint? Literally, synoptic with the same view. Uh, So the synoptic Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so we've kind of chosen for years A, B, and C that we will focus on a a different gospel each year, A, B, C, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So year B, a lot of those readings throughout the year will be from the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark. So we have that to look forward to in the upcoming year of grace. Uh, The weekday electionary cycle uh, is on a two-year cycle. And so to distinguish it from the three-year Sunday cycle, uh, the two-year cycle has creative names as well. Year one, and year two. Uh, This will be year one that we're going into. Um, And uh, there's nothing that really typifies that. It's just we uh, have different readings for the weekdays every other year. So apparently the church did not want you to get bored with the same readings every year. Now I will say that for 1500 years, basically of our liturgical history, we really did read the same readings every year. And there are plus and minuses in this. So yeah, we change up the readings now, okay. In the past, we did the same reading, so you you really got to know uh, those stories that you did read at Mass, and you almost got to feel like, okay, this is the, the weekend where we read this reading, and um, so you really kind of knew where you were in the year based on the readings that you're doing. We don't quite have that anymore. Uh, we get a lot more scripture. So uh, here's the deal. Uh, it's, it's a lot more pressure on you lay people to study the scripture. It's not like you're going to get it over and over and over and like, that's once every three years. So if you're not studying it on your own, it's just going to go right over your head and you're not even going to get it. So encourage that. Study the scriptures. Yeah, that's what we're going to talk uh, a little bit about tonight as we uh, we go through the Advent. One of the characteristics of Advent are uh, special scriptures that, that we will read. And we'll talk a little bit about some of the scriptural highlights of, of Advent and uh, any questions you might have there. Now, I notice that no one has posted... Um, in the comments that I see. So here, um, uh, I'm just going to type, please uh, let us know what uh, what parish you're from. How about that? All right, there. See, you can do it. Uh, I put a little comment out there. There it is. Look at that. Sean the Baptist 
had a comment. Great. I just wanted to make sure it was working because I see you all out there and no one's posting comments. So as we go, you can you can do that. Uh, I do want to be a little interactive here. Um, maybe before we jump right into it, let's uh, just give a quick shout out to Thanksgiving. And, uh, you know, how, how cool is it really that we, we have Thanksgiving uh, in the United States? Because anyway, uh, you want to skin it, you really can't have Thanksgiving with without God. Thank you. Gene Langup, there you go. I'm going to give you a like because you posted from St. Patrick's. All right. I'm thankful now for a comment from Gene. All right. So, yeah, you can be happy about things that you got. Maybe I, I feel good because I got stuff. Maybe I feel good. I got family. But you really can't be thankful uh, unless you got somebody to be thankful to. Okay? Uh that's what it means. Otherwise, I'm just, well, I'm happy. But happy isn't thankful. Thankful means, yeah, I I got good stuff, and I'm happy, and I know who is the source of that. And if you look back at the history of Thanksgiving, from George Washington to Abraham Lincoln, uh, all those proclamations for Thanksgiving, I invite you to go check out, uh, because they all speak of God and how thankful we are that God has sustained our country. Uh, George Washington's first one is like, we need to give thanks to the divine providence that has brought us through this revolutionary war and made our country. And so we should be thankful. And so people were, uh, you know, we should be thankful to God. So whatever kind of socially distant uh, thing you're doing, uh, I, I encourage you uh, do the social distance stuff, do whatever you need to do to stay safe. But uh, let, let's find some way to be thankful. All right. So we got Teresa Smith from St. Patrick's on there. We got Mary Ryan from St. Francis de Sales. I'm going to assume that St. Francis de Sales in Lansing because that is my home. I, I was raised and reared and was a little altar server there. I had my second mass there. It was a, a great time. We got a little orange round church that I grew up in. Now there's a nicer one. Uh, George Pratt is on from St. Philip Neri and Osawatomi. So good. We're, we're covering all bits of the diocese here. Thanks for posting, guys. Good to have you on. All right. Well, being thankful for Thanksgiving, let's talk a little bit about Advent and Christmas. So now, how do we, how do we get the season of Advent? Well, first of all, the, uh, the name Advent, uh, we're the Catholic Church, so we throw things in all kinds of languages, and people pick up on it. So Advent comes from the Latin word adventus. Little prefix ad means toward, and ventus comes from venere, which means to come. So it literally means a, a coming toward, or coming, the advent of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, we would think, of course, of the coming of Jesus at Christmas. We think about his coming 2,000 years ago, and that's that's right. Uh, that's part of why we, we call it Advent, because Jesus came 2,000 years ago, and we are remembering that, and we're being thankful for Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. But as we start the, the first Sunday of Advent this weekend, one of the things that people will pretty quickly notice is that the, the readings are not really about Mary and Joseph and little baby Jesus and shepherds and things. We don't get that really to the third week of uh, of Advent. We start with preparing for really Jesus's Advent, his coming at the end of time, his 
return, his second advent, his second coming. Uh, so much as we end the year with Christ the King and focusing on the end of times in the book of Revelation and the return of Jesus in glory, well, that's the same way we start Advent with a different focus that will eventually hone in on Christmas and away in a manger and all those things. But we're pretty familiar with Jesus' coming the first time. In fact, we love it so much that we celebrate it every year. But how familiar, how ready are we for the second coming? So the church wants to get us, you know, not just focusing on a past event, but as with all things Catholic, yeah, we think about the past, but what's it mean to me right here, right now? And that that's really the benefit of Advent. It's a wonderful sentimental season, and I'm not poo-pooing that at all. Yeah, I love the sentiment. I'm going to be playing my Christmas music. Uh, it's great. But it's not uh, merely the secular celebration of Christmas, you know, with I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas and classics like Santa Baby and things like that. Shout out to Father Kent O'Connor, who loves Santa Baby. Well, that's all part of the secular thing, but we're really preparing for much bigger Advent than that. So we got to start out with preparing for Jesus's return in, in glory, his second coming. Um, so... Yes, it has to do with Jesus' birth and his Christmas. And so with that little caveat, let's, uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about how we got the date of Christmas. Because after all, doesn't it celebrate Jesus' birth? Yes, it does. Do we know Jesus' birthday? Hmm. That's a little tricky. Yes and no. Okay. Um, there are two stories going on out there. One is like the widely repeated kind of story that everybody talks about, and we'll call this the we stole it from the pagans story. Because uh, people will note that, well, uh, Christmas comes right near the winter solstice. Ooh, pagans celebrate the winter solstice, don't they? I bet those Christians got jealous of all the happy pagans jumping around, celebrating and worshiping their trees, worshiping the sun. And Christians said, hey, you can't worship the trees and the sun. But you know what? All of our Christian converts, they loved being pagans. And now that they're Christian, they just don't want to give up their tree sun worship and stuff. So I tell you what we'll do. We'll take over the, the sun worship stuff. We'll change the U to an O. And we'll worship the Son of God. Okay, that's like the we stole it from the pagan theory. It's cute. Uh, it, it could kind of make sense. You hear it around Halloween and things like that too. Um, problem with that. Uh, the first talk of Jesus's birth being December 25th comes pretty darn early. Like 3rd, 4th century uh, at the latest, and it's not a time where the church was particularly trying to accommodate themselves to pagans. In fact, not too shortly before that, we were getting killed by all the pagans. So people were actually kind of the opposite. We don't want to do what the pagans do. Um, all right, so if if it's not that we stole it from the pagans thing, what's the other theory, Father Sean? Well, here's the one that a lot of people maybe don't know about. So this is kind of advanced. Sean the Baptist insider information. This is what you get when you study liturgy. Because we often should look to the liturgy to, to find out where do things come from. If you want to know why do we believe this, you can go to the Bible. Uh, and the Bible existed pretty early. 
But you know what else existed pretty early? The worship of the church, the way we celebrate it. And so here's here's what we got. The most important date that the, the early Christians wanted to celebrate was Easter. Why? Because Passover was the most important date that they, they wanted to celebrate. They were used to celebrating Passover as the highest holy day of the year as Jews their entire life. Well, of course, that was no coincidence. Jesus did that because he knows he's going to be the true Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And so Passover, it's not like, oh, Jesus happened to die at Passover. Uh, no, that was planned for God for all eternity. Uh, no coincidence there. So Jesus dies at Passover. And we know what day Passover is. It's the 14th of the Jewish month of Nisan. And you can go back and try to figure out what year, what year Jesus died and what date would have been the 14th of Nisan of the year Jesus died. And actually pretty early in the church, the church fathers said that Jesus died on the 25th of March. Like, okay, 25th of March. Yeah, that, that would have been Passover that year and makes sense. All right, well, what else do we know about the 25th of March? Well, right away, uh, if you're Catholic, you're probably saying the 25th of March, that's the solemnity of the Annunciation to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Of course, because you're super Catholics and you know, yeah, March 25th. Now, even if you know that March 25th is in fact the Annunciation, you might be tempted to think that well, we chose that date for the Annunciation because we were celebrating Christmas on December 25th as Jesus' birthday. And so human babies are conceived about nine months before they're born. So you might be tempted to think that, oh, December 25th was Jesus' birthday, so we just put Annunciation on March the 25th. Wrong, okay? Here's the deal. In the, uh, the ancient world, uh, it was often believed uh, that creation and annihilation or death were related, two sides of the same kind of coin. And so it was believed that, especially amongst great people, that they would be born and die on the same day. But Jesus is one of the few people in the world where we actually know about his conception. Because normally we can't see a conception, but we have lots of biblical information from St. Luke about the moment of Jesus' conception. When the angel Gabriel comes down, sees Mary, says, hey, you're going to conceive, like now if you say yes, and, and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. And Mary famously says, behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord, fiat mihi secundum verbum tuum because she probably spoke Latin. It says, be it done unto me according to thy word. And St. Luke says, with that, the angel left her. Left her pregnant with God. That's pretty awesome. Now, that happened on March 25th. We know this because St. Luke writes it to us. Uh, not that the, the date's in scripture, but we know about the Annunciation from St. Luke. We know that that was seen by the early church, just like famous people born and die on the same day. Jesus was always held to have been conceived and died on the same day. We actually set the date for Jesus's conception before his birthday. I know, 
We can't do that normally with humans because, well, with modern technology, we're getting better. But normally what we do is you find out, well, what day was I born? And then you can like back up nine months and figure out, well, I was probably conceived about then. Okay? Um, that's not how we do it with Jesus. With Jesus, we say, well, he died on March 25th. Tradition was that he was there and entering the world conceived on March 25th. And if you back up nine months from March 25th, the 25th day of December, Jesus was born. So that's uh, multiple theories of, of how we get uh, the the idea of when was Jesus born. When It actually comes from when was he conceived, which comes from when did he die. And if you think, oh, the church made this up in the Middle Ages. Nope. Uh, third, fourth century. It's century at the latest. We, we got dates back in at least the 300s, early 400s, that they're already doing this and they start adding things. Um, so that's how we get the the date of Christmas. All right, little more insider information here. Uh, that is the date of Christmas for most of the Christian world. Oh, shout out to, to Jeannie Kamiki from uh, Philmont Scout Reservation out in uh, New Mexico. She's in Springer. Praise God. Thanks for joining from St. Joseph Parish in Springer, Jeannie. All right. Date of Christmas, December 25th. Now, the Orthodox Church, so those who split in 1054, the, the great Western schism there, um, well, those people celebrate uh, normally on January 7th. Now, it was the 6th, now it's the 7th, and about 80 years it'll be the, the 8th. Why is this? Well, they actually celebrate on December 25th, the, the problem is that uh, they use a different calendar. We use what's called the Gregorian calendar because Pope Gregory the Great adjusted the calendar because we were all out of sync with the planets and stars and stuff. And so he changed the calendar. The, uh, the Orthodox use the Julian calendar. And there, there's a new one and there's an old one. The old Julian calendar would put December 25th on what today we would know on the Gregorian calendar as January 7th. So our Orthodox brothers and sisters will celebrate on January 7th. Um, there is also the tradition of before we were even celebrating Christmas exactly, uh, people were celebrating Epiphany, January 6th. We, we think of that in the Latin church today as the celebration of the arrival of the three kings. The Magi finally get there. You move your statues a little closer if you do that sort of thing. Uh, January 6th is Epiphany, also known in the East as Theophany the manifestation of Theos, God. Um, and if you take January 6th in the Gregorian calendar and add another 11 days uh, to that, you get January 17th. And so if you are in the Holy Land, as I was one year for Christmas, uh, I lived in Bethlehem for Christmas one year when I was in seminary. Uh, we were there in Bethlehem for about five weeks and got to have Christmas in Bethlehem. It was amazing. But one of the really cool things about Christmas in Bethlehem, you get three of them. That's right, three Christmases in Bethlehem. You get Latin Christmas on December 25th, like we talked about. You get Orthodox Christmas on January 7th. And then you get Armenian Christmas on January 17th. It's amazing. Three Christmases. Uh, and, and everybody does their, their own little thing. So I think we should all have three Christmases. Um, you know, especially given the way 2020 has gone. 
yeah, put put up your Christmas tree now, people. We're, we're hanging lights at the rectory. We are ready to go. We need a little Christmas right this very minute. Three Christmases. That sounds great too. Do that. Okay, so that's a little bit about where we we get uh, the date of Christmas, where that comes from, uh, and uh, different traditions in the East and the West. Now, with the the date of Christmas set, we can talk a little bit about Advent. Uh, Advent is one of those seasons of preparation. And the, probably the, the preparatory season that, that most of us are familiar with is Lent, uh, which means spring, you know, because we use Latin. So Adventus means uh, coming. Lent is kind of an old English word, not really actually from Latin, that means spring. Uh, but it's either spring or the 40 days, depending on. So we're all familiar with Lent. Like Easter is so big, like we said, that you need you need some time to prepare. And, and so you do. Well... Eventually, the church kind of said, "We need a we need one of them preparatory season things for for Christmas as well." Like, when when should we start? Uh, I don't know. Back up like forty days. Sure, why not? Well, if we back up forty days from Christmas, uh, you get the feast of Saint Martin of Tours on uh, November eleventh, Veterans Day here. Um, and so if you guys uh, have been checking out my, my other show and podcast, uh, The Morning Message, uh, I did a little uh, feature on Martinmas and St. Martin of Tours on uh, the 12th, actually, uh, because 11th, I, I did something on Veterans Day. But uh, I'm, I want to give you a little bit of that video now, uh, just a highlight from The Morning Message from November 11th, where I talk a little bit about good old St. Martin of Tours. And the idea of a penitential fasting season uh, leading up to Christmas, just like we we had one uh, leading up to Easter. All right. With, With much, much ado about, about all these Martins, Martins then, what about Martinus? What is this? Well, it's St. Martin's Day. It's uh, the day of his funeral. He died actually on November 8th, uh, but then was, was buried on November 11th which happens to be Armistice Day and Veterans Day here, so there's a lot to do about that. But long before it was Armistice Day, or Veterans Day for sure, um, it was Martinmas Day. And there are a lot of traditions around this, um, most to do with food. So I thought, how could we miss a day to talk about this? Now, we talked that St. Martin was, of course, a famous Roman soldier who became a Christian and then eventually a, a bishop even. And that's all very cool, becoming a saint and nice. But back to the food. St. Uh, Martin's Day, uh, never missing an opportunity to celebrate, the uh, the church has, uh, as she has often done, taken this feast day of a saint and turned it into a big feast day. Now, this should be noted that perhaps some of the tradition came because in about the 6th century or so, uh, there was an additional kind of fast, like Lent. Uh, it was St. Martin's fast that began the day after, uh, much like Lent begins on Ash Wednesday, uh, whenever the church decided to create a season of fasting, in this case, from St. Martin's Day up till the celebration of Epiphany. So kind of like a, a preparatory season for Epiphany, which was a bigger day than Christmas, but that's a whole nother story. It was like the preparation of Lent for Easter. Yeah, there was kind of a preparation before, well, the birth of Jesus, which didn't really celebrate Christmas, but Epiphany. We'll let that go. Nonetheless, there was a season of fasting before Epiphany which became known as the uh, Lent of St. Martin, the Little Lent, or uh, the Fast of St. Martin. 
eventually all this uh, eventually got uh, turned over, and uh, so we've got this Fast of St. Martin that started off after uh, the Feast of St. Martin on November 11th, and we started on the 12th, just like, oh, the good old Ash Wednesday, where we put Mardi Gras before it. St. Martin's Day got a big feast, because then we started a fast that led up to Christmas. So, uh, eventually that fast kind of got relaxed a little bit, to the extent that today... uh, Really, Advent, although it is somewhat of a penitential season, it's more of a, a hopeful expectation of the coming of Jesus. Uh, so it, it's less the strict fasting of, of Lent. In fact, there's actually no required fast days in the, the current calendar for the season of Advent. Now, uh, in tradition, there are the, the Ember Days after the Feast of St. Lucy that partial abstinence and fasting on on Wednesday and Friday and Saturday uh, in Ember Week, if you want to follow that, but it's not strictly required. So most people, uh, if you're like, uh, well, most people, there's not a whole lot of fasting that goes on during Advent. In fact, at least outside of 2020, there's really a heck of a lot of feasting. In fact, Christmas party after Christmas party, because let's face it, most of the secular culture not only does not fast to prepare for Christmas, uh, they would think we're crazy uh, to do that because, well, Christmas is basically the whole season that leads up to December 25th. So everybody goes and, and does their their thing and, and celebrates long before the day of Christmas. In fact, when you get to Christmas, it feels like, Phew, thank God Christmas is over. It's December 25th. Well, it's really not the way we're meant to do it as Catholics. And I think most Catholics get that, that it's not Christmas yet until December 25th and Advent is preparation. But probably not too many people fast today. But originally, that was kind of the origin. Uh, We wanted to have a fast preparatory season like we had Lent to to get ready for Christmas. So um, we fasted. So I'm not saying you have to give up your Christmas parties and, you know, hold only like, you know, solemn, uh, you know, whippings and uh, eating bread and water and living in sackcloth and ashes. But at least we can try to build our joy over the course of Advent, even if we do celebrate a little because, all right, I'm going to listen to my Christmas music uh, because, well, I got a lot of Christmas music and I love it all and I only get to listen to it this time of the year. So I have a lot of Advent music too. Um, I recommend Father uh, Kent O'Connor's uh, album called Advent, and then the uh, the Benedictine sisters up in Gower have Advent at Ephesus. Uh, so there are a number of different Advent actually themed, and of course Matt Maurer uh, has an Advent album that he came out with a couple years ago. Uh, so there's all kinds of good stuff on there. We can actually find Advent music. In fact, I'm going to do a, a show coming up a little bit on the, the music of Christmas, and we'll we'll talk about some Advent uh, music in there as we get closer. Uh, so. You don't have to fast, but realize that is the origin of the season, that there would be some some fasting, actually. All right, so with the origin out of the way, what about the uh, the structure of the season of Advent itself? What goes on uh, in Advent? And feel free to put your questions out there. Janine's is the last question out there, so um, feel free to jump in, you guys that are on. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, we don't start out with Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, and shepherds, and and things like that. We we start out uh, with some some readings about John the Baptist. So if you want to know some of the structure of Advent, well, let's start with John the Baptist. 
He is the the key figure of preparing the way of the Lord. You know, make straight his paths, make a highway in the guy in the wilderness. Quoting Isaiah, uh, yeah, he comes. He says, "I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness." People would think, "Ah, oh, Isaiah." Isaiah prophesied the coming of Messiah. So we start with that. If you want to get ready for the coming of Jesus, well, start with John the Baptist. That was his whole mission to prepare the way of the Lord. So Advent is a time where you're going to hear about John the Baptist a lot. So he is a the star kind of of Advent, and especially for John the Baptist. My patron, yeah, he rocks it during Advent. So we're going to talk a lot uh, about John the Baptist uh, during Advent, more so almost than Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. We're going to hear about John the Baptist. So he's kind of our our first uh, great figure, if you will. The other figure, I mentioned the prophet Isaiah. So a lot of our Old Testament reading during Advent comes from the book of the prophet Isaiah. I was talking with my my dad the other day, and he's uh, doing a lot of scripture study right now on his own. And uh, he was reading the book of Isaiah, and he's like, "Man, this is like this is like Jesus talking to us, like saying like this is what's going to happen. He's the Messiah, and this is how do you miss this? I'm like, well, people don't read it, and even the Jews uh, at the time of Jesus that did read it, eh, they kind of had their own ideas, maybe didn't see it. Boy, when you see the way Jesus fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament." especially the book of Isaiah, you just like, pff, hit you over the head. Like, of course, God was planning this for all time. Yeah, he was. Uh, and so we read a lot from the book of Isaiah uh, because, yeah, it, it foreshadows and points forward to, to Jesus. But it also kind of helps us see the whole role of, of Scripture that, yeah, Jesus was prepared for. God knew what he was doing from the beginning of the world. And uh, it was no mistake that Jesus showed up when he did. Um, one of the, the great videos that I, I kind of watch, which is not, uh, you know, authoritative or anything like that, but there's a, a guy who did an astronomy video on the star of, of Bethlehem. And um, one of the things he kind of shows is how the, the planets and the, the stars and everything all aligned, if you call it that, uh, for the birth of Jesus. And he also takes a, a look at the end at what the stars were doing at the, the time of the death of Jesus. And Nonetheless, even if the you could take or leave it or that, I kind of like some of what he's proposing. Uh, but regardless, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. All the stars, the planets, everything. God put all that in motion. So should we be surprised that Jesus was born at a time where there are signs in the, the heavens that we can take astronomy software today and run it back and find out exactly what was going on in the sky? Yeah, we shouldn't be surprised at all. Same God who made us, who made the whole world, he planned when Jesus was going to come, and he planned when he would die. Uh, so he knew. And so it's no no surprise that the, the sky and the stars all all line up with that. So you might, you might check out a video called The Star of Bethlehem. Um, I always kind of watch that. So we've got John the Baptist, we've got Isaiah, and then finally the, the last great Advent figure is Mary. Uh, she is the one that of course, is specially chosen by God uh, to be the mother of God. And uh, we could talk a little bit about that title, Mother of God, if you want. Is it right to call Mary Mother of God? Uh, what about her Immaculate Conception? We also celebrate her Immaculate Conception uh, in December, on December 8th every year, which, I mean, if you haven't figured it out yet, we already talked about Jesus being conceived on March 25th. Uh, 
yeah, sometimes people get confused and they think December 8th is like, oh, that's the day Jesus was conceived. And, you know, since Mary didn't have relations with Joseph, he was immaculately conceived and that... No, the Immaculate Conception on December 8th refers to Mary's conception in the womb of her mother, Anne. So it's the conception of Mary by St. Anne. Okay, Jesus could not have been conceived on December 8th and born on December 25th. I mean, he could have. God can do whatever he wants, but that's not normal. If Jesus is born on December 25th, it shouldn't be surprising that we celebrate his conception on March 25th. So... Mary gets the Immaculate Conception on the 8th. And then depending on what kind of community you live in, if you're in a Latino community, uh, December 12th might as well be Christmas. It's like one of the biggest days of the year, the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. So Mary gets like two of her biggest feast days of the whole year, uh, December 8th, December 12th. And then let's just throw in January 1st, the Feast of Mary, Mother of God. So Mary is a huge figure. And really it shows not so much about her, but about God. First of all, who Jesus is, that he is God from the first moment of his conception, through his birth, through his death, whole thing, he's God. That's what calling Mary mother of the mother of God means. Uh, but also that God works in history to prepare, that he's got a plan. And Mary was a big part of that plan. And if he's got a plan for Mary and her plan was amazing, he's also got a plan for us. And so that's a great kind of thing to see that it's as much as Jesus's birth was the most prepared for event in the history of the world, uh, your and my existence also completely prepared for by God. He has chosen us to live precisely at this time. I have to think sometimes I'd like to live at a different time. Oh, what would it be like to live in like medieval times? Or I think I'd like to live in the Renaissance. And I often think I'd like to go just about anywhere in history if I could take modern medicine with me. Uh, I'm really not all that cool about going to medieval times and I'd like all the Gregorian chant and stuff, but like having my arm hacked off to be bled out to get some pestilence out of me or my neck opened, to, no, I'd like to take modern medicine. Other than that, I could go just about anywhere. Um, but Jesus is prepared for you to live at this time. And if he did it for Mary, uh, he, he does it for us as well. And so that's that's pretty cool. So we've got these these three great figures of John the Baptist and the prophet Isaiah and the mother of God, our Blessed Virgin Mary. Um, and St. Joseph uh, doesn't get a whole lot of mention in scripture because, uh, you know, he doesn't he doesn't have much to say, really. Uh, in fact, he doesn't really say anything. Um, it was It's weird because I once saw in a library like a five-volume set of the life of St. Joseph. Well, I, we don't have much in Scripture on St. Joseph, but what we do have is pretty darn impressive. And so, obviously, St. Joseph is a big figure of the whole Advent story as well um, because, well, God also prepared him from the beginning uh, to be the foster father of his beloved son, Jesus. Okay, so those are kind of the three big figures of Advent. There's a, there's kind of a a two-fold first half and a second half of of Advent as well. I mentioned this kind of beginning with the uh, Jesus coming in glory, and eventually we kind of shift to the Jesus being born in Bethlehem part. Well, that actually happens very specifically in the liturgical calendar on December... 17th, 
we start to shift from Jesus' return in glory, preparing for that, to really on those those last days before Christmas. So the 17th, 18, 19, 21, 22, 23, 24, that's a week, and then it's Christmas. So the last week before Christmas, we really start to focus on, all right, Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. And so there are a number of, of things that take place in, in the liturgy uh, to, to kind of start to focus on the Bethlehem part of it. And that's when we start to get those readings about Bethlehem and we change some things in the celebration of the Liturgy of the Hours to focus. Because really, Advent can start uh, at any particular time. It, 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 it's the Sunday closest to the, the Feast of uh, St. Andrew, November 30th. So it could be before, it could be after. It's one of those things that, that moves around. Uh, so we don't know exactly where we'll be in the season of Advent until we get to December 17th. And then it's like, from here on out, we know each day exactly what the readings will be because they're focused on, you know, we're coming to Jesus. In fact, the the one four days out says, in four days, the Lord will come. Uh, so uh, it gets pretty deliberate at that point. So it's kind of like a first half and a second half uh, of, of Advent based on the liturgical calendar. And so you'll you'll kind of notice that. So the the season of Advent then runs all the way up to Christmas, and then we have the, the season of Christmas that begins with Christmas and runs all the way through uh, the Sunday after Epiphany, the, the baptism of the Lord. So that's kind of the whole, you know, if you've got the Lent-Easter cycle, the Advent-Christmas cycle, that's kind of the, the big overview of the, the long game of where we're headed. All right, let me take a, a look at the questions here. Um, Vanessa Gendry is on from St. Patrick's. All right, welcome, Vanessa. I don't, I don't have any questions out there. You guys are, I see you. You're all hanging out there. Um, but if you've got questions, I'd be uh, happy to answer that because we've got about 15 minutes if we wanted to. I want to keep it under an hour because uh, people start to drop off and it gets boring just listening to me talk. I'm going to have some guests on, so we'll do that too. The other uh, big day on the calendar which we don't have a, a date for, but the third Sunday of Advent uh, gets a special celebration. Uh, you will know it because this is the day on which the priest wears rose-colored vestments as an option. Uh, normally during Advent, we wear the darker purple, uh, again, kind of reminiscent of the penitential season of Lent, uh, but also just the, the darkness of the time. Um, but... We wear brighter rose-colored vestments on the third Sunday of Advent, which takes its name from the, the Latin word of the, the psalm that is the uh, introit, or the uh, entrance antiphon, as it's so-called today, in the Missal. And that is from St. Paul, in which he says, Gaudete, I say it again, Gaudete, uh, which, which means, y'all rejoice. Gaudere in uh, Latin means to rejoice. Gaudete is the second person plural present active imperative. Y'all rejoice, basically. Um, Y'all get rejoicing now. Something like that. Uh, Paul's telling us be happy. And we are happy because, hey, it's only a week to Christmas, thereabouts. We're, we're certainly more than halfway. The, the weird thing is we got four Sundays of Advent but we don't get four whole weeks of Advent normally. Advent goes so quick. We think of Lent and we got like seven weeks of Lent. Ugh. You know, um, 
And then Advent's just like, yay, it's Advent. And like, boom, Christmas is here. Whew. So I don't mind if you start Advent a little bit early. Like I'm, I'm kind of starting early now, listening to my music and stuff. Uh, because Advent goes so stinking quick. Uh, so uh, Gaudete Sunday, Rose Sunday could be just a week of Advent left. Uh, not this year, but um, so you've got that pink thing. Which, if you do uh, one of the other traditions of Advent, the Advent wreath, uh, actually not a Catholic origin thing. I know. Uh, sometimes it's okay to steal from other people. Uh, so the, the Advent wreath, actually a, a Lutheran kind of invention, really late, like 1800-something, middle of the 19th century, uh, the Advent wreath thing came about. And there's all kinds of stories uh, about... Uh, that very Susan, I see your question. I'll get to that in a second about St. Stephen. Uh, as soon as I finish about telling about the Advent wreath, um, it's a pretty late thing, but it makes sense uh, that uh, we're getting closer to the light. So why not light candles? I mean, that's Catholic. We love lighting candles. I mean, you, you can't go into Catholic church without having candles all over the place. So sure, candles are Catholic. Uh, let's light candles. And uh, let's put it in like a little evergreen wreath because... Uh, evergreens don't die. Evergreens stay evergreen. Unless, of course, you cut them and put them into a wreath. Then they turn brown and die. Uh, but while they're green, they're a pretty cool symbol of eternal life and the fact that Jesus lives forever and why not? And it's, uh, you know, kind of the same way with holly uh, in uh, Christmas time. Holly stays green all the time. That's, that's the kind of symbolism there. And so most of the time, what you'll see are three purple candles and one pink candle, or rose candle. Uh, and, of course, those match up with the four Sundays of Advent, with the rose candle, of course, being for the uh, the third Sunday of Advent. And you light one more additional candle each week, and you can kind of see, hey, it gets brighter as we get closer to Christmas, and the light of the world is coming. And sometimes those candles get names of, of virtues like... Uh, Oh, what do they go with? Uh, something like, uh, I don't know, like uh, hope and faith and what is it? Like hope and peace, hope, peace, joy, and love. Something like that. There's nothing official about this. It's a, it's it's one of those things where there is no official canonical regulation of how you do your Advent wreath. You want to use, you know, green and red candles. Knock yourself out. You can do whatever you want. It's a home devotion. So, you know, light light a pine cone on fire every night for all I care. And then have a huge bonfire or something on Gaudete Sunday. Uh, it's it's an option. You can do an Advent wreath. People do Advent calendars. Uh, before I get to that, let me a uh, quick... Uh, Susan Kroger asks, what is the Feast of St. Stephen? Is that an Advent? Did I miss that? Great question, Susan. Uh, because, of course, one of those songs that we sing, Good King Wenceslas looked down on the feast of Stephen When the snow lay round about deep in Christmas even Right, so when is this feast of Stephen? December 26th. It's the day after Christmas. Uh, so technically not a part of Advent, but very much taken up in the uh, the Christmas kind of story uh, because of that song, Good King Wenceslas. So every year, December 26th, the Feast of St. Stephen. So when it talks about good King Wenceslas looking out on the Feast of Stephen, it's the day after Christmas. And so why not sing a song about good King Wenceslas on the Christmas time? Because it's the day after Christmas. Uh, faith, hope, and love. Yes, those are the uh, three cardinal virtues. Uh, 
so not that's uh, where I got faith in there. The uh, traditional Advent wreath candle virtues are, are faith, peace, joy, and love. Uh, so, or hope, hope, peace, joy, and love. Faith, for one, make up what you want. Meditate on the virtues if you want. Uh, a lot of times people have the kids light the candles, whatever you want to do. Uh, other great Advent tradition in my family is the Advent calendar. Uh, again, all these things are kind of working progressively towards, hey, Christmas is coming. Let's get ready. Get ready. People get ready now. Candle cover. Uh, so we're getting ready. And so why not have a calendar? And so we, we had this growing up. Every year we would go to my grandparents for Thanksgiving and my grandparents would give us an Advent calendar and we would take it home. And what this would normally be for us anyway uh, is like each day you would open a little window uh, and it was like, you know, from December 1st on, so you could end on the 24th. And so you open a little window and there's like a little Bible verse or saying or thing. And so as you get closer to Christmas, you keep opening windows and eventually you got all your little windows open. And it was always a huge fight between me and my sister. Like who gets to open December 24th? Cause this is the big one. And oftentimes the, the window for December 24th would be like bigger, like in the middle or something. And so, uh, Advent calendars today, like people put candy in there chocolate i mean i don't know i mean it's supposed to be kind of a penitential preparatory season but as i said you do what you want um someone posted on facebook one of my friends the other day that like according to my advent calendar it's only three days till christmas yeah think about that one um but yeah you can have chocolate in your advent calendar if you want there's no there's no fasting regulations for for advent um okay so we got advent wreaths we got advent calendars we People put lights on their house. As I'm looking out right now, I'm looking across the street. People got their lights out. I was over at a couple's house the other night. A whole neighborhood got their Christmas lights out. I think that's actually pretty darn cool uh, because the winter is dark. And so, yeah, there's nothing wrong with the whole sun versus sun, the sun thing. Uh, Jesus is the light of the world, who's coming to the world. So we put lights on our houses and say, yay, Jesus is the light of the world, is coming. Uh, yeah, that's not a bad thing. Go ahead and do that. Uh, when I owned a home in, in Lawrence, I, I decorated so big and bad for Christmas. I put lights on every line of the house. You could you could see my house. Uh, you know, it's like a, a quarter mile back from K10, and you could see my house driving down K10 with all my lights because I wanted to say, uh, a Christian lives here. Uh, so, sure, go crazy, especially this year. Be happy. We're going to be sitting in our houses probably a lot. I put lights inside. I put lights outside. They were putting lights up at the St. Patrick's here today. So lights, also a nice thing. Put your manger scenes outside. Manger scenes kind of started from uh, St. Francis. He so loved to meditate on the birth of Jesus and the humility of Jesus the Christ child that he's like, you know what? I wish I could do that all the time. I want to see it. I want to know what it would have looked like to be there. Um, now, not to spoil it, but Jesus was born in a cave. If you've been to Bethlehem, it's a cave. It's not like a little stable sort of thing, but kind of. Uh, so there would have been animals, sheep, things like that. So manger scenes are cool. And you uh, traditionally in the past, like you didn't put up a manger scene until Christmas. And a lot of cultures, you didn't put up a Christmas tree until Christmas. Uh, you can put up your manger scene during Advent. However, I would suggest maybe keep a little baby Jesus out of the manger scene until Christmas. It's just kind of a nice thing at the the end of the Advent season when Jesus is actually born, then you can like put little baby Jesus in the manger. 
oftentimes at, at Christmas Mass, we'll have a little kid like carry in baby Jesus for the, the parish manger scene or something like that. Uh, because at least in church, we will not put up Christmas decorations until Christmas. So it'll be Advent decorations uh, until then, like, you know, purple bows and evergreens and purple candles and, and things like that. So um, you might be thinking if you're on, like, uh, what are your Advent traditions in your family or or in your, your parish? I see we've got nine different comments out there, and uh, I think I've gotten to all those that have, have had questions. Well, I, I'm going to, I've got one more thing, people, uh, and then I'm going to gonna have to shut up. So if you don't have questions, the Sean the Baptist Live is going to end in about a minute and a half. Because um, the last thing I wanted to mention was that uh, you might see this at your parish uh, this weekend with the first Sunday of Advent. Uh, and that is the first Sunday of Advent is also set aside as the suggested time when people who are thinking about uh, being baptized who are adults would officially be accepted into the order of catechumens. Those are those preparing for baptism at Easter. So uh, just as we begin a, a new liturgical year, uh, those who have been inquiring, trying to decide, do I want to be baptized this year? Those who have decided, yes, I'm wanting to be baptized, and the church has said, yes, we think you're ready, uh, would be accepted formally into the order of catechumens on the, uh, the first Sunday of Advent as well. So you might see that. All right, with that, let me just uh, finish with a little shout out um, about some of the things going on at Sean the Baptist podcast. Uh, you guys are all watching this live, and that is cool. And Facebook is awesome for sharing things around. I do know, that, though, that uh, especially with some of the, the things going on, that not everybody's on Facebook, and uh, you know, not everyone wants to be on Facebook or interact on Facebook. So what I've done is I've I've uh, taken the the videos that are like Sean the Baptist live in my morning message. And I put those on YouTube. So if you go out to the uh, the YouTube channel, uh, and you can get all this from seanthebaptist.org. So I'll, I'll mention that again at the end. Um, I've created three podcasts. So if those familiar with podcasting, you know, iTunes, you can go out and search for Sean the Baptist on iTunes, and you'll find my three podcasts. One is this show. I'll, I'll upload uh, the video to YouTube, and I'll put out an audio-only version on the, the podcast for people that want to share that around. The, the morning message, if you want a five-minute little intro to the day, a little spiritual reflection, you can get the morning message on a podcast or on YouTube as well every day. And uh, finally, my homilies, uh, that's what started it all 11 years ago. Uh, I put those out just via audio podcast every Sunday. Um, and you can find the, the Sean the Baptist homilies podcast, the Sean the Baptist live podcast, and the morning message podcast all out on iTunes, Spotify, subscribe on Android, Google, uh, anywhere you get podcasts, basically. And if there's some place you want to get a podcast and it's not out there, let me know and I'll get it up there. The way you can find all those podcasts and anything else you want to know is seanthebaptist.org. S-H-A-W-N, thebaptist.org. Make sure you put the .org. It's not .com. And there's a menu item called podcasts. Click on that. There are three of them there. There's multiple options to subscribe. You can even subscribe via email if you want, and it'll email it to you every day. Um, so go to seanthebaptist.org. Check that out. Let me know if there's something you want to see, but certainly the podcast. Uh, share that around. All right. Uh, Joyce, this is thanks. Happy Thanksgiving. Oh, good. Chris is offering most of your heart of Mary, my first parish. Susan wants to know how I feel about fruitcake. Um, I got nothing against fruitcake. 
especially if if monks and things are trying to live off it. So, sure, why not? Why not fruitcake? Buy a fruitcake. Support a Trappist monk somewhere, probably. Um, uh, Gene, thanks for the uh, happy Thanksgiving. Like your morning message. Yeah. So the morning message. I, I encourage you guys to to check that out. I, it it is live on on Facebook when I I do it, but uh, I don't announce it or anything when I'm doing it. So um, yeah, it it happens about nine nine fifteen in the morning, but normally by ten it, it's out there. So you can grab it on Facebook, or you are you're welcome to subscribe to the podcast. It will come to you, or go to YouTube and and get it there. And if you could, um, please like this page, the Sean the Baptist page. Uh, if you've not liked it or followed it, please do. That way I know uh, how many people find this. And when I put out something, hey, I'm going to go live or things like that, if you've liked the page, uh, it makes it a lot easier for you to find out. So if you go to seanthebaptist.org uh, on your computer, it's it's also on the right-hand side. You can, you can click like and it'll work. Um, there's a bunch of little buttons at the top that have little pictures of a bird for Twitter and YouTube. You can go to Twitter. I've got Twitter. You can go to Instagram. You can even go to Flickr and see my photos. Click on those little social links. You can follow me all over the, the internet everywhere you want to go. All right. Well, that's been a little introduction to, to Advent uh, for this uh, edition of Sean the Baptist Live. I, I thank you for everyone who's participated, all the, the shout outs that have come out there. Um, 6.30 Wednesdays share this around. Uh, it's only live right now on the Sean the Baptist Facebook page. So please check that out and uh, share it, spread it. And I, I look forward to getting more questions. If you want to send me a question during the week, feel free to message me uh, on here and uh, send me a message via Facebook or FatherSean at SeanTheBaptist.org. F-R-S-H-A-W-N at SeanTheBaptist.org. And I'll be happy to take your questions. We'll get to them on the air on next week's show. All right, it's an exciting time ahead. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone. Enjoy uh, time with your families. Uh, enjoy being uh, thankful. I am thankful for all of you. I am thankful uh, to be back at Sean the Baptist Live, uh, doing the things that I love to do, spreading Jesus around. Uh, John the Baptist would have loved, I think, to have online stuff like this. He could prepare the way of the Lord in an incredible way. So I am blessed. Uh, I'm thankful for my family, my friends, especially for our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, who's coming, who's Advent, we are getting ready to celebrate. Thanks everyone for joining. This has been Sean the Baptist live for this uh, last week of the liturgical year. We'll see you next year. God bless.